0: This is the True North Collective podcast, a gathering of unsugar coated conversations on authenticity, created by the real life documentation of everyday humans fearlessly finding their true north. Welcome to season four of the podcast.
1: Yay. Okay, recording. It's real, it's official. We're on. DJ's cracking his neck. I like it. Let's get some shoulder rolls going. So morning stretches, Um, we're excited to be back for another unpacked episode. Uh, This is something Rachel and I have been playing with, and we really want to just continue to bring in more voices to the True Earth Collective and have conversations, um, just like our early and original inspiration back in coffee shops in Milwaukee, where we'd be doing things like desire mapping and bringing groups of people together and being like, what did you get from this? What are your questions on this? What are you wrestling with? And we're bringing that today together on the topic of how do you define success and what does it look like for us individually with three super fun friends. So we'll have them introduce themselves right away and then we're just going to jump right in.
2: Hi everyone. I am Tina. Um, I'm calling in from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Um, So in um, on Canadian soil. Uh, I'm so excited for this topic and, you know, the pandemic has really forced me and challenged me to redefine what success is. Um, and so I'm excited to unpack and, you know, learn from, you know, this group.
3: And Hey guys, um, my name is Alison Forsyth. I am Tina. I'm also coming in hot from Ontario. So I don't know if this is just the Canadian edition, David's like what where did it what did I get into um I'm in Oakville actually Tina so we'll have to when this pandemic nonsense ends we'll have to meet up in IRL as we like to say these days um but I um yeah I'm excited to be here I love having these types of conversations I am always very open with this topic um by way of just sort of grounding in the why behind being really interested in this topic, I was, um, my background was in um, elite sport. So I'm a a two-time Olympian for Canada in the sport of alpine skiing. And relevant to this topic is just the the reality that um, growing up as an athlete and starting when I was one years old and then stopping when I was 28 years old, um had me really look at success as external validation so I'll just start with that where success for me for 28 years was all based on how fast I skied and how many medals I won so it's a very interesting topic for me to unpack now that I'm you know older and and wiser so I'm excited to jump into the conversation with all of you
4: and I'm David I'm the only representative from America I'm in uh, Minneapolis Minnesota I will make the drive to Winnipeg if that's what it takes um that would be success for me. Um, now, so I think this topic is is one that I've been wrestling with for my life, of course, but obviously the pandemic has sort of slowed everything down, and i've i've i mean, we'll get into it, but I've actually been disappointed with how many people haven't taken the chance to redefine it for themselves um, because I like to judge too so um but we can get into that. I think it's going to be a great talk and um, I'll set it back to the true Norther's. Oh my God, I love you guys. I'm so excited.
1: Thank you. Um, yeah, I would love, so Alison, first off, very relatable on the external. I think um, with the pandemic too, like me personally and Rachel, I guess Rachel and I can answer this question I'm about to, um, is yeah, I've been wrestling with it specifically around the pandemic because of getting laid off from work and Allison much like you shared a lot of how I have defined success has been around money career status like I remember my last really long-term boyfriend when I met him I was like I want to be one of those power couples where we take over the world and we build an empire and today I'm like I still don't want to take over the world but like real low-key like (laughs) I don't know And like, that sounds like a lot of work. (laughs) So I don't know, (laughs) like take over the world through podcasting conversations, but not in the way that I used to like think about it. Um, And I'm really just trying to figure out how to continue to define it on my own and not just tie it to like, oh, you make X amount of money. You have X amount of title that impresses people from the get-go versus um, being like me. I'm successful just because I show up and live life every single day. What about for you, Rage?
0: Yeah, I, okay. So hearing the word success makes me like cringe. Um, so I, having this topic, my, my palms are sweating and like, I'm just like, oh my God, it just feels like this. I have like a, an interesting relationship with the word. Um, And I even thought when I used to work with Allie, she was actually a manager of mine. And at that time I was in a position where I was like, how the fuck did I get in this position? Also, like none of the none of the ways that the world is like telling me that I'm successful, do I really value all that much? So like this is weird that I'm having to like live up to these values that I don't give a shit about. And like the things that I actually care about aren't are being like. Secondary, and this is very confusing, and so I've had a really i continue to have a, an interesting relationship with with success, and when I left that role, I like totally like walked away from traditional things that are successful. I didn't come up with a new set of success metrics for myself. I just kind of was like, I just don't want that, and so i'm gonna just see what it looks like to live in a way where I go from six figures to a an hourly amount or, you know, or, you know, nothing. I have a volunteer, you know, or um, not a title, like leading a team to like being the lowest in the totem pole and like just really changed it to like, because I didn't really have a plan much other than like, it's not that, I don't know. I feel like I, um I just like... I don't know. I, I, like looking back on it, I really didn't have a plan. I just kind of was like, I just can't do this anymore. And I don't know what else to do. So I'm going to do the total opposite. <laughs> um, so it's interesting. And now many years later, um, I'm, I definitely, I, I haven't actually sat and still defined this. And I think I need to, especially at this point in my life where I feel like I'm in such a transition. I, I left a, a seven year relationship. I recognized that I was in monogamous like serial monogamer for like 20 years and now I'm 38 and like what is actually important to me and like when I'm sitting in that rocking chair as a fucking 110-year-old because that's how old I want to be I want to be super old what am I what did I do like what was important and so um yeah and then the other piece of it is like I'm working through a lot of um mental health stuff right now and so success has become a lot more about the slowing down and um, I hear protect your peace like all the time. And um, I'm still figuring out what that looks like for me, but that feels like an area that has had some resonance for me around success. And just how do I exhale and like, let myself be where I am and acknowledge, acknowledge what's actually here, not what I think needs to be successfully here so that was kind of a lot and I just spewed it all over you so that's what I got
1: (laughs) can I ask the group because Rachel in your definition I think it's interesting like do do the rest of you get some sort of like body experience when you hear the word success or like an emotion that comes up instantly and hits you
5: um (laughs) for me um Like fear
3: comes up because I still feel like, as much as in living through that time with you, Rach, was the way I so the way I felt then, to be honest, was um, we had you like in a box, and Rachel didn't like she can't live in a box, and that box was a corporate box. And so, I just wanted to mention that, like, it's like you broke free of the box, and I think we probably had this conversation, but I I get a lot of fear that comes up in me around success because it goes right into what would my parents have deemed success. What would, like, I had a very interesting career in that I was making more money as a 20 year old than, and I actually retired from a career at 27 than I will ever make again, you know? So I also have like this ebb and flow of, um, you know, fear-based thinking of, you know, well, I was here at my last job and then now I'm, you know, I'm also starting to try to start a new company where I have to like cold call people. And that's like, you know, sort of humbling. And so I think fear comes up for me. I don't like the word. It doesn't like, it's not a, it's not a happy word in my inner dialogue.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting because language has so much, it's interesting how language has so much power and the word success for me, I, you know, I feel a lot of this internal pressure. When I think about success, <clears throat> and similar to Allison, like I—I I mean, not, not as competitive and professional in you know my athlete sport days, but as a as a child, I grew up playing competitive soccer, and so I was always trying to perform well for others and please others, and that's what I deem successful, and so. I put this like internal pressure on myself and now it shows up in my adulthood and, you know, no one is telling me that I'm doing something wrong, but internally I'm like, Oh, I could be better. I could be doing something better. I'm not enough. Um, and that's how it shows up in, in my life currently and why I've had to unpack it because the pandemic has released this, you know, practice of feeling in control. And that's, what I associate with success is like, I can control who I am and that, you know, could potentially lead to success. And the pandemic has just thrown all of that out of the window.
4: Yeah. It's, it's interesting. The word, it's like I get a little shock almost like a jolt whenever I hear that word. Um, And I, I think a lot of people feel this. Well, for me, at least I am, I just want to stay away from it. And it's not a fear of success. It's not like I don't want to be successful. It's that I don't want someone else to define it for me. And so I have gone to the other end of the spectrum where it isn't I've always in every every place I've been, we talk about titles and we talk about, you know, you're going to come in at this, and then you can move up to that. And I have said out loud to everyone that I've interviewed with, I don't care about the title because the job is the job. And so, you know, the CEO, depending on the size of the company, the CEO is going to be doing the exact same job as, you know, the receptionist or the PM or the writer, whatever. Right. Um, So that's never defined me, thankfully. Um, But I do feel it's pretty simple. Like success to me is happiness and then it's how you define happiness. And is it, that makes it easier for me because then it isn't about, or it can, it can be something about, it can be about something different than money or status or power or whatever. But I really have to sit with myself and decide what that is, because there's so many things coming in from the outside, telling me what success looks like that, you know, to define it for myself, then I have to like, put up that shell and start fending off other, other definitions. I'm not even sure if that was your question, but that's the answer yeah it's
3: almost like what tina was saying that um like when you what i'm hearing is like it's not it's not outside of you it's inside of you and when you haven't redefined what that actually and i'm like i haven't either like now i'm like okay that's something i can really take on and Rach, you talked about this too like what then is it if it's not what you do if it's not what other people think of you Like, what is it that truly makes you feel successful? I just, you know, I um, got recently divorced as well and I have three little kids. So that was incredibly hard. And where I live and Tina might recognize this in Ontario, in Canada, it's just more like familial. It's more like, to be honest, guys, it's like success in a lot of people's lives here, I believe, or what I've observed is very materialistic. It's, you've got a house, you've got a cottage, you've got a good car, you've got your kids in hockey. So what's the problem. Right. And like, that's, I'm not saying this is for all the people I know here, but there's definitely a culture of, well, that's good enough. That's success. That's, you know, and in my experience, it just was so much deeper for me to not be like, I didn't feel successful in my marriage, but on the surface, nobody would have known. And so that was huge sort of unlock, um, for me where I had to let go of not feeling successful because suddenly I was a single mom, you know? Um, but Tina, you were saying like, not enough. That's been like, like I'm never enough. And that's my biggest struggle is because I'm so hard on myself. And when you do what I did, which is like become the best in the world at a sport, honestly, you guys, it was like tears when I was second in the world because I didn't win because I wasn't enough. It, you always will, that bar will always go higher. You could be the best in the world at something. And there's always, because of how you think, in my opinion, there's always going to be something that's better that you didn't achieve. If you have that attitude about success, um, that was, that was a two for oneer. or well, I got to tell you guys about my divorce, which happy to share more about maybe my ex-husband will or will not listen to this podcast. Um, and the, uh, the never being enough. So that's always a challenge for me in my noggin.
0: It's such an interesting call out too, of like, we put people, I have put people on pedestals of like, oh, they've made it and never really, I'm going to say this, had the compassion for what it's like to, to stand on, to have to stand on that pedestal and what it takes, like that mindset of like being there and the expectation and like whatever else it's, um, and that it never ends. It's not like you then get there. That's so, so I'm kind of just like, holy shit. I imagine this
3: example, Rach, like I was seventh at the Olympics and I was supposed to win. And so when I came seventh at the Olympic winter games, I was like in a serial depression for about six months after, because I felt like I'd let my whole country down and I wasn't successful because I was deemed like a metal potential. So also in that circumstance, I had the whole country in the report, everyone saying like, Alison Forrest is going to win the Olympics. She's going to win the Olympics. She's like third in the world. She's going to win. She's going to win. And I came seventh. And it was like, as if I had like, like it was, if I had come last in like the first race I ever raced, that's how bad I felt being seventh in the Olympics. So just know from, if you ever want to know how elite athletes in that situation often feel, it's what's going through their head is that's not good enough. And I still don't actually have good feelings about being seventh, to be honest. And that was almost 20 years ago. So. (laughs) I
0: so, God, I so appreciate your transparency and vulnerability. And I have a question for you. And I also want to, something's coming up for me to share that I hadn't really thought of before that's relatable, but I think it's relatable, but not the same. Um, I had cancer when I was 14 and 15 and that, the way that the people who did there was a lot of really fucked up responses during that time. But the one that I latched, the ones that I latched onto were the people who were like, Oh my God, you are just the bravest, most courageous, like da, 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 and I put myself on that pedestal of like, that's who I need to be. And I'm, it's like clicking for me right now that, um, I think a lot of my struggles have been in owning my own mental health. And what's actually there is because I think that I have to be this courageous, brave person. And what's actually happening is that I am fucking scared as fucking hell about the long-term impacts of cancer, the fact that I survived and other people didn't. Am I doing enough with like my life? There's so much more that's there than just the courageous act and. And even when I try to like bring up the story of what's really there, people are like, but you were courageous, but you are courageous, but you are, and so um, t- totally different, but I'm like in this moment being like, holy shit, no wonder I have, that." that's part of it. Is that like, I didn't get to experience like the rest of the stuff that was there. So, oh, having a moment. Um, yeah. And the question that I have for you is, do you think that the success, do you think that mindset came from sports? I'm asking the chicken or the egg. Do you think that you innately were that? Cause I've had that question asked for me too, like about cancer. Like, do you think the way that you are, that you attribute to having cancer would have been there anyways? I don't know. I'm just curious.
3: Well, Tina can, or anyone that's done sports can probably speak to this as well. But um, from my perspective, it's a question I always ask myself because I was so convinced that I would just leave skiing and get a normal job and like, just not be who I was anymore. You know what I mean? Like I had attached this crazy, I'm not enough fear of failure, like strive, 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 strive. strive. I would attached that to the sport. And then what happened is I left and suddenly it was like fear of failure at work, fear of failure in my like. It came with me out of sport, but I like, I'll be honest. And maybe Tina, I, I don't know, right. I don't know. I don't know if it's something I was like innately born with because I was so conditioned from like a baby, you know, like I don't remember learning how to ski. I don't remember what it was like to not be in a competition with someone else, like first, second, third. So I don't know. It's very fascinating. Like the nature versus nurture um, concept. Right. Um, but it's, you know, it's constant work. And that's what I always say to people too, is like, Mental health issues in elite sport and is out of control because of the pressure and you couple the pressure in that you know never being enough um, and striving to be the best at what you do every day that's on display for everyone to critique and that's why it drives me nuts when I sit at home and I watch people yelling at TV screens at athletes because so I'm like, you don't fucking know what they go through every day like I get it. Like he got it. He didn't freaking pass the puck, but Jesus Christ, like, do you know how hard this, you know? So, um, I guess I get like a, a, a reaction and people don't know that like in there's such huge issues with mental health and that expectation, but I have to answer your question longly, um, which isn't a word, but I just made it up is like, I have no idea where it came from. Tina, do you like, did you have that too?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, you know what? I've never thought about this. Like, is it the chicken or the egg without soccer? Would I still be you know, would I still have these feelings or these thoughts around success and pressure? And I think that without soccer, I would. Like, I think where that comes from is, you know, with any hobby as a child, if, you know, I loved painting or if I loved piano, like my parents and those around me would still be rooting for me. And what that would create in my head is like pressure to not disappoint, pressure to perform. And so, and then I think of like comparison, like You know, if I'm comparing myself to, you know, with friend, I'm, I, yeah, I think it would still be there. I think without soccer, it still would be there because within Western society, that's kind of like, it's there in the system, (laughs) this feeling of needing to be better, not being enough. Like that's kind of just innately ingrained in, in Western
1: culture. I was going to say, I mean, I played sports growing up, but they weren't like super important in my life. Like our my first soccer game, I'm pretty sure they just threw me out in the field and they're like, you're playing this position. And I was like, I don't know where that position goes. And I just like ran in circles and didn't do anything. But, um, when I think about it, like I was, but I was always in competition with my sister just in life. And I don't know where that comes from. I'm sure there's like subtle unspoken things, but, um, I've been unpacking this a lot in my own life around, yeah, like why why do I strive for certain things, whether it be work, whether it be relationships. And I like think back to my childhood where literally I felt like everything I did, it was like, if I wanted to receive love, I had to outperform my sister and whatever it was. I mean, it didn't even really matter. Or if I wasn't good at something, but she was, it was like, well, then I have to like go over here at this thing she's not good at and be better, like so good at that, that like, I don't, my parents will notice me I, and again I don't think my parents like intentionally put this in us or like where that comes from whether I'm sure it's nature I'm sure it's nurture I'm sure it's society and all the things but um, yeah like it didn't matter if it was sports or my sister is like incredibly book smart and I remember in college when we were like we're friends now for sure but like in college even we were still really butting up against each other and she's like well she's a molecular, I can't even say it, a molecular and a microbiologist. So super fucking smart in that sense. And like, I'm smart, but in very different ways. Um, and, you know, she'd be like, well, my classes are harder than yours. And I'm like, well, I have friends, you know, like, just like, in the, yeah, the things that my sister has friends, by, by the way, but like, like butting up against each other still in our adult life, it was like, I, okay, well, if you're going to be the book smart one, then I'm going to be so street smart. And so like social and savvy that, Like you can't touch me in this area and I'll be the best and be super successful. And then, yeah, basically like receive love and be noticed. Um, Yeah. So even outside of the sports aspect, I think there's a lot that is conditioned from a young age. It is July and we are inviting you all to come play with us this month. We are offering our monthly workshops on authenticity. They happen the first Thursday of each month. We'll drop a link in the show notes for the upcoming workshop, so you can check that out. We are also offering The Collective and The Collective happens on the third Thursday of every month. This is our free monthly community gathering where we get together with people from all around the world to chat authenticity. It's basically those in-depth conversations you might be craving in your everyday life, but we do them via Zoom. We'd love to see you there. Link in the bio to join.
0: Yeah. The uh, the other thing that was coming up for me was just um, we talk a lot about identity in the True North Collective and the shifting box of identity. And it almost feels maybe that's been my hesitation to define success too, is that it just becomes another box that I have to like <laughs> fail at, <laughs> compare myself in, you know, like not protecting my peace enough, you know? Um, and so the more that I like keep playing with this stuff, it's like, It's not that the definition is bad because it gives me something to work towards. But when I hold so tightly to it, that's when I start to go haywire. And so my, my permission to really, I'm going to say all the cliches, so annoying stuff, but it's like to be enough in the present moment or wherever I am to allow that definition, like success exists here. What is it for me right now? And it can change. And it, there's like an openness to it. Like when I usually hear success, I don't know what the book is. There's some book um, that Carrie Keaton used to always talk about and your heart, like your heart, you can feel your heart closing. It's sorry, Carrie Keaton, someone that Ali and I used to work with. Um, not that everybody would know who that is. <laughs> I was well, like looking look. at the everybody Zoom room. was like, who's Carrie Keaton? <laughs> I know, I was looking at the Zoom
1: room trying to figure <laughs> out whose face is gonna I was, like, light in up. In my zone,
0: <laughs> yeah. Anyways, I, there was a book that she recommended. I'm gonna figure out what it is. But in it, that the guy talks about that when you start to have that fear thing, your heart like closes. And that's what, when I hear success typically without like being too present or whatever, I can feel it. It's like, like burnt, it hurts. Um, But when I allow myself to say like, this can be fluid and it can change minute to minute, it starts to loosen. There's like a loosening in my chest. And then I'm like, oh yeah, I can experience all the different versions of success whenever I want. And like, but I really have to work hard to be in that space. Is that like, I don't default there <laughs> by
3: any means. I think the big aha moment for me and um, Rachel will know, this is something I always talk about is like who you are being versus what you are doing. And that was massive for me. Like when I left sport, um, you know, it was like that identity crisis, was like, who am I if I'm not Alison Forsyth, you know, the Olympic skier. And then it to start to realize that I could be living my values every day. And that could, that is actually how I should judge myself and like be with myself is, am I living my values? Am I being kind and present and all these things that I'm committed to being versus what i was doing? Cause doing will always change, right? Your job, you lose your job. You'll, you know, um, that those are the actions you take, but the power for me anyway, is like who you choose to be every single day with the people you interact with, the things you get up to, the way you treat the earth, um, all of that. So that was a big shift for me. And I, I still tell I tell myself that every day. I'm like, who are you being? Well, you're yelling at your children. Who are you being? Cause you're apparently yelling at your children. That's what you're doing. Um, so yeah,
4: that distinction's huge for me. Like I have throughout, well, this last year, but and before, someone asked a question like, who are you without your job? And I don't have one right now. And so that question has been like, I'm living it every second of every day. And so it is how you, it is how I live now. Um, But what's funny is that when you were talking, I was thinking, everybody thinks this way. Like everybody wants to be kind. Everybody thinks that they're working as hard as they can. Everyone, like every person thinks this. So I wonder where the break is between let's all be kind and generous and, and loving to give me more because I want more. And I, I just, I, I don't know how to answer that question because I just, I, I can't get my head around the the break. Because um, I think even if you talk to the most ideolo- ideologically, different person from yourself they are trying as hard as they can and they do they are striving for what they think success is but they're just doing it the exact opposite way that I'm doing it you know and so I I struggle when I watch the news I struggle when I see people being mean on the street it's like aren't you trying to be nice because you're failing miserably at it like if being nice is what you think success is you suck at it and and it's just it feels like it should be easier than it is, I guess is my point. Um, and I think everybody, I've said this to Rachel before, I think like, I believe so strongly, this is off topic, but if we, if everybody did the thing that they love to do, I think the world would be, would be fine. Like there are people inexplicably who love spreadsheets. I don't, but there are people that love them. So that, part is taken care of there are also people who love to paint that part is taken care of LeBron James he loves like if you just do what you love everybody will be happy and I think successful but we're so conditioned that I gotta go up the ladder I gotta do this and so people are afraid to cliche it up live their dreams and follow their bliss and all that and it's it's sad I don't know
0: well and then you add the layer in of Society has valued certain things and not valued others, and so if I love you know slinging stretchy pants and i'm make not making enough to be able to survive doing that now i have i feel like the thing that I like doing is devalued, and I can't actually do it. I have to now figure out how to force myself into you know sitting at a desk and doing a spreadsheet and or whatever because somehow, somewhere, someplace, deemed that as more valuable than the thing that I am actually good at. Um, and I'm I'm I wrestle with this with um with coaching. Like I am here to be a life coach. Call it whatever the fuck you want. That's the stupidest name ever, but like that is what I'm here to do. Didn't know it existed until five years ago. It is that is what I'm here to do, in whatever way you're gonna define it. And it's like a weird. Space that is like kind of becoming popular, but what is it? And blah, 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 blah. my point being, I can't go into that field and ha- it's not already valuable. Like, I have to really prove myself. And, like, a- and there's a lot of things like that. Whereas, it'd be a lot easier if I could just be like, well, suck it up, Rachel. You have the resume for a CMO. Like, just take your nose ring out, grow your hair out, you know, put on the fucking suit and show up. And it's like, no, so I think there's what I heard in that was something around like the survival piece, and and I, I'm reading The Body Keeps Score right now, and who that is a great book. Highly recommend um, for many reasons. And in it, the part that I just was, oh wait, no, I do recommend that. That's not where I read it. I read it in. I'm also just doing a self-compassion workbook. In the self-compassion workbook, um, they talked about when you go into survival mode, one of the ways that our bodies naturally respond to it or think that they can help is to go into self-criticism. And so I wonder if it's like kind of this loop that like, you want to do this thing, but then you have these needs, you go into survival, then you start to self-critical, you self-criticize, and then it kind of feeds the engine of like, I'm not enough. I'm not, okay. What's the external thing. That's going to tell me that everything's okay. And then it's just like, it, everything goes haywire. I don't know. I've just thrown it out there.
5: Um, okay. I'm going to 180. So you ready? Okay. So, um okay. So this is something
3: about like, I guess it has to do with success. So it's, and I'm, I don't know why this is all about sports. Sorry guys. It just is what it keeps coming up for me Um, is like, so the, the why when you said rage why are you here? So what I'm here to do is um, to prevent maltreatment in sport, elite level sport. So my purpose is to um, abolish, you know, mental abuse, psychological abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, sexual harassment in elite sport. Um, in that work, well, the reason why is I was um, a victim of sexual abuse in sport um, by a serial abuser, and we went to um, trial in 2015. He was convicted to 12 years in prison um etc etc and I'm happy to speak about that all day long because it's what I do now it's my purpose I go around and talk and raise awareness around sexual abuse in sport here's the thing when I was sexually abused and it was covered up for years and years and years I am not kidding you there was many many people and even to this day that would say but she was still successful Okay. So I was, this happened to me when I was like 17 um, and I went on to have a very successful career in skiing. So even to the point where I'm, you know, in lawsuits and um, in a very, like very serious situations where people did very bad things, people will still play that devil's advocate and say, basically what I'm hearing is, well, she was sexually abused, but it didn't really seem to stop her from having a successful career. Therefore it wasn't as bad. So it's almost like if I had been sexually abused and had to leave the sport because of mental illness or what have you, it would have been deemed like worse that I was sexually abused. So that is like a massive trigger for me because we all know that is complete bullshit. But the fact that there's many people out there that still believe that the success in sport is the most important thing. And that's why there is maltreatment, just so you guys know. That's why, you know, athletes will... Do whatever it takes to make it, they also will get manipulated and coerced. That's why you see, you know, athletes taking, like getting punched in the back of the head, the NHL guy, or the psychological abuse, and is because they everyone thinks, first of all, the the system thinks that's how you have to treat athletes. This is all off obviously generalizing, but you have to treat your athletes a certain way in order to make them successful. And it doesn't even matter if that's leading to long-term mental illness, health issues, abuse. It's like, as long as that athlete makes the NHL or makes the Olympics and is successful in sport, that's just what it takes. That's a huge societal norm in sport, which is terrifying because I say, I'm like, I, I say every time I speak on this, my biggest quote is, you know, I would give back every medal I'd ever won, ever to not have had this happen to me. And the fact that people think that that athletes maybe just go don't care or it's just part of the program is is terrifying so that's my 180 is just that's how deeply ingrained it is in society that how important success is that we as humans will ignore massive amounts of detrimental treatment to people um, and their happiness and their health and their mental health you guys like I was not healthy I was struggled hard mentally through my entire career I literally was driven to be the best in the world because I wanted to prove to that guy that he didn't have the control over me that he thought he had. So when I hear people say, well, she went on to have a successful career. I'm like, that success was fueled by pain and suffering and that like, none of it matters. So that's just my 180.
1: It's so relatable though. I mean, in the sports world, or even in I use the word corporate, but like the work, world it doesn't have to be a corporation of like how often have people been like I need to strive for the title the money success whatever you deem it to be and same thing it's self-abuse you work for managers that treat you like shit and make you feel oh. bad you don't take care of yourself you ignore your health like you let you ignore your mental health you ignore your physical health you let your body break down because you're what supposed to work like 100 hours a week and like finish this project or try to get that promotion and then you maybe you do maybe you don't like yeah so thank you one for sharing that and I, I expand it too because it's super relatable and like all of these facets I think we self abuse and chase this idea of success to really like I keep on hearing prove yourself but it's like who the fuck are we proving ourselves to <laughs> What are we proving ourselves to, um, in order to gain success? I don't know. And I do it too. So like, I'm asking myself a question as well.
2: Yeah. And I mean, even just to take it one step further, I think of like our personal lives, like how many, you know, how many individuals choose to stay in a relationship that isn't working to prove to those around them, like I'm in a perfect relationship. So like, yes, it may not even have to do with work or hobby or sport or whatever you're in, but like, it literally could have to do with your own personal life too.
5: And what happens within your four walls that no one else sees. I
0: was just uh, right before this, I was in a conversation with the amazing Jesse Ross from Minneapolis and he hosts He's a black man who hosts a bunch of white women to talk about anti-racism and um, strongly lights fires for us to be in action. And um, this morning he shared some things, one of which was like the white supremacist culture, like mindset. And so we were just going through like some of the things uh, and one of them was this idea that if it's not provable, then it doesn't have value. And that's I'm hearing that a lot in this of like, well, or if it is provable, like okay, so Allie on paper, look at how successful you became. So that that minimizes like whatever it is that you're saying is here is like not the point. And like great, cool, but like look that look at how provable this is. And so, um, I that just came through of like holy shit. This I mean. It it is societal. It is cultural. It is these things that, um, you know, we innately nurture nature. We, it's there, you know, talk about epigenetics, like it's there. And like, how are we, um, this conversation is a chance for us to like name it, say it and, um, you know, sh- shift it, whatever that means. I, I don't know if like, I think sometimes when we go to change things, when I go to change things, I swing the pendulum totally the other direction, which means that I'm just doing the same fucking thing in different clothing. Um, and so it's like for me now, it's not trying about try it's not about trying to figure out the new again. Maybe this goes back to like why it's hard for me to define <laughs> to go to defining now. It's like not trying to fix it or or figure out like what's the new target, but instead just like being with like. Oh, this is here. There's more here to let be on the table. And, whew, okay, all of it gets to be here and I don't need to do anything with it this second. And I will know what to do next when I know what to do next and all of it is valid.
1: Rachel, you had brought up the term. Oh, DJ, go for
4: it. If you're well, I just had a question for Allison. Do you think that, would you define your athletic Career as a success knowing knowing the stuff off the mountain, or maybe that's an unrealistic question
5: no, it's a great question um,
3: great right when you said would you so I'll just share what just popped in when you said would you deem it a success I right away go to no but um, not necessarily because of what happened off the mountain um, part of it, but more because I still don't think that I was good enough um so like it's, it's big, right? Like I would say no, because, um, I feel like there's, you know, two or three specific, one was the Olympics in 2006 that ended my career where I was winning when I crashed. So if I go there, I go to a place of like, if I had just not put my foot down when I was, cause I was sliding. And what happens in skiing is as you're sliding down the mountain very quickly, cause you're falling you like lift your skis up. Cause you know that if those skis drop, you're probably going to injure yourself, like follow, you know what I mean? And I remember sliding, I was going about hundred, I'll speak in, you know, non-Tina language here. I was going probably like 70 miles an hour, like 110 kilometers an hour. And I remember my skis were in the air and I, all I could consciously think was like, don't let those skis drop. Don't let those skis drop. And then I remember thinking, fuck, they're getting so heavy. And that's the last thing I remember. And so they must've dropped. And I still, to this day, I'm like, if I had just kept my skis up, what would my life have been? So it's, it's deep, right? Like there's many times in my, so I guess that's it where there was those moments that I was so close to doing whatever. It wouldn't have changed anything. What? I would have won the Olympics. Big fucking deal. I'm still here. 42, I whatever. I'd have a couple more speaking gigs, you know, like I know it doesn't matter in the world, but at the same time, I still go through like what if i had just not dropped my skis you know from physical like i have a metal knee now because of it too like i have huge physical issues for the rest of my life because of that accident but more just like disappointment in myself for not keeping my skis up as i was flying down a mountain
5: i know it's ridiculous but it's just what people it's what i think about
4: yeah it's funny this is not funny but um peekaboo street she would always say there's a perfect speed. There's only one perfect speed. Cause if you go too fast, you crash. If you go too slow, you don't win. And 100%. I, yeah. I, I just hearing you talk about that crash and brought that up. It's
3: and you're always on the edge. Well, and any, like on the edge of like every run I ever had, where I was like, I remember going into the finish line and be like, Ooh, that felt good. I'm like, fuck, that was slow. You know, like if it feels good, it's slow. If you feel like you're going to crash, you're probably fast. And you just hope that you don't crash. She's hundred percent. Right.
1: Yeah. I was gonna just open it up to the group. I think Rachel, you had used the term versions of success, which I think is interesting. Um, Cause in a lot of ways, it sounds like we're playing on a similar blueprint or template for what we think success is based off of how we've been set up and the things that we've been taught in life. If you all think about, it could be historically, and then maybe even potentially moving forward, like what do you want your versions of success to look like.
2: I mean, I've thought a lot about this since um, being invited to this this conversation and and brought it to my team, which created incredible dialogue. I think this topic is is quite it's a lot um, to unpack in general. And i i've I've really come to the not conclusion, but I've come to this concept in this current moment that success to me means impact and impact fulfills me and how I create impact is using my voice. And I've always held that back. I've always kept that to myself. And, you know, just within the last, I would say eight months or so, I'm starting to speak up, share my truth, like not be, not let fear hold me back. The fear of, you know, saying the wrong thing or the fear of someone else not agreeing um, which has created impact. And so that's kind of <laughs> where I'm, where I'm sitting in when, when I think about success is how can I impact others? How can I impact my community? Um, and how can I speak my truth in a powerful
5: way that creates impact to one person or a collective? Um, Bringing it full circle back to our little friend, the pandemic.
3: It's like, we have such an opportunity with this to actually not go back to the way things were. And I think people are like, well, it'll be great when we're back to where we were. I'm like, this is the opportunity to define the world differently, in my opinion. And when you ask me what I want to do, or like what success is for me, it's all, it's already about like, holy shit, we never know what's going to go on tomorrow. Like we guys, we are living a movie right now that we wouldn't have believed you know, 10 years ago was possible. And the fact that it's now normalizing that kids are running around in masks and they don't even know that they're on anymore is a scary, but b just like, what can be possible now that I don't think the world will ever be the same, nor should it. And so for me, I'm really diagnosing, like, again, getting away from that material success. um, And, you know, being now with, you know, in the world that I am as a single mom, I hate using that term because I don't feel like I am because they have an excellent father Um, However, like for me, success, honestly, is like simplicity, like simplicity, like my kids. Great. Do I have a house? Yes. Am I grateful? Heck yes. Am I going to just live in that house and pay it? Yes. Like, I'm not going to stretch out and reach for like the SUV, the whatever. I want to get into nature. I want to camp with my kids. Like, I believe that's the way the world's going to go. And I believe it's the way the world should go. And that's like, Rach, to your point about you know, I'm a life coach and like, I'm a coach too. And we, this is, this isn't about that's, that's the old school way of thinking that those types of professions don't have the respect they deserve because you're not a clinical psychologist or what have you. Like, this is the way I hope the world is shifting, that we have coaches, we have you know mentors, we have podcasts like this. We're diving deeper into what these type of topics are. Um, That's what I think is possible. And that's how
5: I think that we should be defining success. I'm going to go camping. Does <laughs> anyone, Rachel, you got room?
0: You got oh, yeah. room? Lots, lots of room. Uh-oh. I'm single now as well. so. Okay, great. I'm
3: just coming with three kids. Are you cool <laughs> with
0: that? Just I'm three. in. Yes.
4: I, I don't know what success means for me right now. Um, and I, this whole hour, my whole life, I've struggled with the push and pull of materialistic but I just want to be comfortable, right? And then you define comfort and to the millionaire comfort is whatever it is. But, and so I've asked myself daily actually through the pandemic, what do I actually need to be happy? Um, And I go back to happiness because I think that um, I (laughs) I went to Haiti and they have nothing there, like nothing. They are thrilled. I'll, I'll never forget this moment. This This kid was walking me around this like shanty town and he pointed at, the, at this not a house. And he said, that's where I live. And he was so excited about it. And it was a reconfigured outhouse or um, yeah, outhouse like a porta potty. And I was like, I was super psyched for him. And then I thought I have no concept of what it means to be happy like i really didn't and it it i get chills thinking about it now like this kid just and it's not like i want to have nothing so i think that everything is great but it's also i think i need to and i'm coming to this i need to redefine what it is that is enough and i need to let go of the fact this is the big one for me i need to let go of the idea that everybody has to think this way. Like there are people on wall street that are super happy, super successful because they are driven for, it goes back to the thing. They love numbers. They love whatever. I don't, but I judge them because it's like, don't you get that? uh, Like I'll say, like, don't you get nature's where it's at? Don't you understand that all we need is four walls? And like, how do you not see that? Well, they don't see it. So I need to I, like half my success is realizing that I'm the only one that thinks this way. Like I am a singular person. Like no one does it the way I do it. Um, I gave, and I have taken this advice in the business world to managers. Like you have to realize that no one is going to do your job the way you do it. So if it gets done, be happy with that. Like, there's a reason why you delegate, let them do it. You know? Um, Again, I'm not sure if that was the question, but I do like to talk, so.
5: (laughs) Janelle, what about you? It's a great question.
1: Um, We were talking about core values and, like, authentic versions of yourself, and that has been where I've been playing recently, because I'm definitely, I like to, like, know the rules or the structure and then, like, play around in it or, like, step over the line, but still be able to have some structure even if it changes um and one of my one of the things that I really really value is freedom and so as I'm looking at how to make money and looking at how to support myself and looking even we're talking about like home and what that looks like I'm trying to make sure that everything I set up allows me my version and definition of freedom. So like financial freedom is a thing. Um, freedom to control my own time is a thing. Freedom to, uh, and this might change later on in life. I think we talked about this, but like right now, the freedom I'm in an, a furnished Airbnb that I can basically cancel. I mean, not at any time. I like like a month to month agreement, but, but you know, like 30 days and I can peace out if I want to. Um, and so keeping that right now feels like a version of success for me. Um, and I've very much been like title money generally. And like, I'm having, we could talk about this for hours, all of my battles with like viewing money as success and what that looks like. Um, but I'm also trying to remember that actually if I made a million dollars a year, but I was stuck like going to work every single day from eight to five in an office like I actually probably wouldn't be happy <laughs> even if I was a millionaire and like had four weeks of PTO I'd be like this sucks what am I gonna do with this millions of dollars <laughs> like I'm gonna go to work every day cool <laughs> so I'm like trying to remember that as like I definitely get reverb and like oh I'm not enough or I don't have enough or whatever it is um and to your point DJ like when I was traveling around and living on the road, I think one of the things I really appreciated is when you live in like cheap motels or you camp out of the back of your car, there are certain things that you begin to really appreciate. Like you kind of like redefine your standards. It's like not having a refrigerator and having to put food in Ice to like ongoing, and also I'm just like cheap and I don't buy myself a cooler. But like, you know, like the things are like not having a washer or dryer, using like a washer and dryer at this like cheap motel that literally doesn't dry your clothes at all, and everything's starchy and gross. And like, those are the things that as I start to redefine success, it's like, okay, I don't want that, but I'm glad I got to experience it. And now that I'm in an Airbnb with like a nice washer and dryer, like, I'm like, is maybe this is success, like having a nice washer and dryer, you know, it's like the silliest little things, but, um, like that has actually helped to just like reframe my perspective on like success and, and what I do need and don't need and, and want. Um, so I don't know. I'm still playing with it.
0: It's funny being the last one because each person I was like, Ooh, impact. That's a good one. Cause I was like, I don't know what I'm going to say. And I was like, impact. Yeah. Impact. I got chills. Yeah. It's impact. I'm going to be like Tina. And then Allie went and I was just like, simplicity. No, that's the shit. Totally. It's totally simplicity. It's simplicity. Success is simplicity. And then each of you, I was just like, well, fuck. So it's just, (laughs) it's just so funny that even in this little um, quintuplet, is that five, five of us, I like, was like which success is like I, like I already started going there of like which is the one that is like anyways, um so where I landed was with no, nothing that anyone said, um how I'm defining success is uh, co creation is what keeps coming up for me, um I've been playing with that word for a while now, um what it means to me is that I in co creation I have to exist and another other things have to exist too and so. When I, when there's co-creation, I always think something better happens and it happens because people have shown up. I mean, this conversation. Um, so yeah, co-creation has been the thing, um, that invites me to show up, encourages me to stay and allows me to be humble enough to give space to other things beyond me to, help, support, encourage, participate on that journey, because I don't have all the answers. And when I think that I do, I'm over-controlling and it just is very stressful. And it usually doesn't end up as good as when somebody else is involved or universe, you know, or nature or whatever. Although, sorry, I'm going to say, I listened, there was a post that I um, saw the other day that said humans are nature. So we need to stop acting like we are separate from nature. And I loved that. And so not totally unrelated, but I just felt like I needed to say that.
5: Another question for the group.
1: Cause I'm asking it to myself, um, after having this conversation, or maybe you've already been playing with this before the conversation, but what do you want to let go of when it comes to defining your success? Like, what is it time to fucking burn or throw in the trash or put down the garbage disposal?
5: One, comparison. And that is, are they just all
4: comparisons, honestly. Um, And then two, the idea that it can't exist. Because, like, I've spent decades chasing happiness, success, whatever it is, and I've moved that bar. Um every all the time, like whenever I reach a certain thing, and it's like, well, why don't I then that's actually what I want, you know, um so I think the biggest thing for me is letting go of the idea that it's out of my hands um I mean I think if you if you when I shorten the time that it takes to be successful, like I was. Think about the athletes on the call um, and how like you've got a season and then you hit the Olympics, like you're trained, that whole time is training for this one race or two races. And they always talk about the journey is the reward. And then I th- thought about what about that journey is the reward? Like, is it a great workout? Is it a great training run? Is it a great, whatever it is. And so I guess maybe not letting go, but bringing in the idea that it can be these little moments that success can be this, I'm embarrassed for this one, but it can be a great cup of coffee, right? Like that is the thing. And what my hope is, you didn't ask this, but what my hope is, is that I allow myself to feel success more often than I have Um, without... And this goes with the comparison without external, like, yep, you nailed it, you know. Um, and I do want to say real quick, I think it's it was fast, it's fascinating to me to think about the stories you see on TV where someone left their corporate job to write a book or make pot holders, whatever they do, and then they become a quote success because they started selling this stuff. And so it is all no matter what you're doing, whether you're following your dream or not society has decided what success is and it's money. And so I want, for me, I want to let go of that period. The end. I'd also love to be rich, but whatever. So,
5: um, Yeah. Two things for me. And, I, and I'll start with the comparison that you were talking about DJ, because I have
3: comparison challenges around success, but even more than that, I worry a lot about what people think of me like a lot. And that's what I need to let go of. And that just came up with like, I just got divorced for the second time. So I'm two husbands down actively seeking my third. No, I'm kidding. Um, but so like, I have to like, like, I had to make these decisions because like my gut never lies. I'm a very instinctual person. And I like it gets to the point where I get physically ill when I know there's something that I have to shift in my life. And so I do it, but then I just panic. Like, what are people going to think of me? You know, who am I now? So I need to let go of that. And then like, what the, with money, like seriously. And it just brought up for me, like, I was listening to the radio and this would have been like 10 years ago and I'm driving to work. I worked at Louis Lemon and I'm like driving and I'm thinking, and there's this big controversy about a Vancouver Canuck complaining about his contract because he wasn't making enough money. Right. And they were just ripping him and ripping him and ripping him. And I was like, like, and it got to conversation turned to like, well, how could anyone with money complain? And then the conversation turned to, would you ever feel bad for a rich person? And then they had people call in and every single person calling in, you guys, I was literally screaming at the radio. Like you are no, cause people calling in would be like, no, if you're rich, you're obviously happy. No. Why would we care about that? Like that dude makes 1.5 million a year. Like I've never, it was all about like, would you ever feel sorry for someone who's rich? And they're like, no. And I'm like, rich does not mean you're happy. Like I'm screaming. And I just was so shocked. Like person after person calling in saying like, I would never like, yes, I judge him. How could he complain? He makes him over a million y'all, whatever. Right. So it just brought up to me, there's like such ingrained societal, if you make money, if you have money, you are a big deal, therefore you're successful. And that's, and I suffer from that. And that's, so those are the two things I need to let go of
5: worrying about what other people think of me and like that success is defined by how much money I have in the bank. I love that. Thanks Alison for sharing. I'm like feeling all the, all the, all that you're
2: feeling right now. (laughs) So thanks for sharing that energy. Um, I am letting go of, I mean, DJ, you kind of brought this up for me during this conversation is I'm letting go of um, the fact that success needs to look the same for everyone and really just inviting in like successes, what successes for me is for me. And it doesn't need to be the same for the next person. And so, you know, let go of the comparison, like I think is a common theme here. Um, and then something else that came up for me is, you know, in a, in a conversation I had with one of my teammates at work, she was like, success is the learning that you have from that experience. And I love that because it kind of goes back to DJ again, what you said around like the little things, it's like, how are you, you know, taking those little things, learning from it, acknowledging it, and then taking that as success as success. Because that's growth. And that's just like, kind of what's resonating with me. So I'm inviting in the growth, the acknowledgement, the learnings, and then I'm letting go of the comparison and it needing to look the same for everyone.
0: A conversation that I had with my ex is coming up, which was, we decided at some point in our relationship that kids weren't a part of the scenario. And I've often thought to myself that like, I don't really see kids. I love kids. If it happens, it's like, if it happens, awesome, I'm going to be the fucking best mom, (laughs) I'm going to be the most me mom that I could possibly be. Um, Anyways, I remember when we both kind of like had agreed at that point, like, yeah, we're, we're at this point biologically, I kind of need to decide. And, and then I was like, well, if we don't have kids, what the fuck are we going to do for the next 70 years? And I was just like, oh my God, literally, like literally. And sometimes now I'm single. So now I also don't have a partner. So I'm like, what do I do for the next 70 years. If I'm not trying to make all the money in the world, become the most important person in the world, have the best partner in the world, the best family in the world, the best house in the world, what the fuck am I doing? (laughs) So that's coming up for me. I guess I don't, that didn't have to do with your question either, but I'm like, I'm not scared about it. I'm just like literally, what should, what's coming up for me is that there's just not a lot of modeling and we've talked about this Janelle there's not a lot of modeling for other ways of it being and so when when the current potential path let's just call it that we've all kind of like been fed doesn't align or resonate there just isn't a lot of other examples to turn to and be like oh look it could be this or it could be this or it could be this or it could be this which then it's like okay so then maybe the next 70 years is me creating a different path and actually sharing it, being vocal about it and letting other people see that there's another way. Anyways, okay so that's for me to reflect on later. Um I need to let go of expectations of myself and others. It is like holy shit. I again single um not trying to actively Find anyone, somehow people find me. And um, I've realized just how quickly I can like turn something into something else. And the expectations I have for myself and other people really just like gets me outside of myself. And I can't, I, I forget what was important to me. Um, yeah. So expectation. And that's beyond relationship too. But I've, I'm feeling that one strongly today.
1: Tina, when you were talking, I wrote down success is experiencing life, which maybe that'll change, but if I want a little mantra around success, I think I might just hang on to that one as, you know, things aren't this like upward rise or elevation, like in, you know, I think Allison, you shared like in money or in career or in title, like maybe success for me can just be like experiencing as much life as possible, which I think I can get down with that definition. Um, But originally when I asked the question, I wrote down very similar to what y'all have been sharing. I'm like, I want to let go of the idea that money, money equals success. Um, And just kind of trust that money will come along for the ride with whatever I choose to do that actually defines success. Like that money is actually abundant and it's not that hard to make. it It seems to show up, like at least in my life. And maybe that comes from a really privileged place, but it has like historically when I've been worried about money or stressed about money, it like, it finds a way of like someone hits my car and then all of a sudden I get insurance money or, you know, just like random things that, have nothing to do with success. <laughs> like, she's like, "Oh, here's some more money. Thank you." Um like I needed that. I was down. Uh so like trying to let go of that side of it and um just like yeah, letting go of that idea and just thinking, "Okay, if my idea of success is to experience as much of life as possible, like the the money and the security parks really. I think money is just associated with security for us obviously. Um, that can come without a lot of thought. I don't know if that, again might be like a privileged way to phrase it, but like I know that I'm scrappy enough and resilient enough to figure things out, and maybe it's not more money, Maybe it's reduced expenses, you know, like there's there's other ways to look at it.
0: It is interesting that money
5: is just like the thing that oh, it's such a
0: it's so there, and like. There are times when there wasn't money, right? <laughs> like, or is there always some? Because whatever where I went was, I have a conversation with my brother. He's really into crypto stuff. He's a software engineer, genius computer person, and um, so he's always talking about like new approaches to like open source. It's not actually, my, and I he loses me a lot because uh, like conceptually I get it, but you know, but. That's awesome. But then does the form just change? Like if it isn't money, then does it just become the next value exchange? And that has that always been the thing? And like, have there ever been in all of existence communities that figured out a more equitable value exchange? There has to be, right? I don't know. I'm just like.
3: I always get, I always live in what you're, what brought up, what you just brought up for me, Rachel, is that I always live in this mind pattern now of like, we're actually just evolving as a human race. And so when I, when you talked about was there different currency exchanges or whatever, I often think about like the way my parents would have expected my career to go and not judging them for their thoughts, but knowing that the way they were thinking was based on, you know, that their parents lived through the great depression. Right. So it was about like money was not there. Therefore money became the thing And then therefore security, because everyone was worried in the 30s about like having, and then that became our parents who were all about, you know, pensions and stability and like real jobs. And now, you know, I'm, I'm 42. So I'm not like very like late end Gen Xer. I get freaking a geek out on generational studies because this is what I think is happening. I think we take some of our parents, but then we get into our own lives and we try to like no, mom, it's okay that I'm self-employed and I'm not going to have a pension because why the fuck would I want to be in that job for 40 years just for a pension, you know? But my mom would like lose sleep at night because Allison didn't have a job with a pension, right? Um, and so I think we're shifting and it's not going against what this, the generation before us, it's, to me, it's evolution. And I think that that's, um, like, I don't think we need to look back. I think that everyone is, you know, they take what I call like, an Rachel knows this, but inherited legacy, Right. And you inherit from your culture, your family, um, the cultural norms, expectations. And then you just make the choice of what am I going to take with me? Because that's awesome. And then what am I going to leave behind? Because that's not going to serve me and my legacy. So I think it's, um, that's where I think the money thing comes in is it's up to us to shift it and leave behind those, you know, that fear. I believe a lot of it came from fear from our parents and our grandparents because they when you go through and we've all probably been there, you go through an experience where you suddenly it's like the pandemic for many people was this, right? Like I feel good. I've got a mortgage. I'm going to invest here. I'm going to buy a boat. And then all of a sudden now I have no job and my entire industry is gone. What am I going to do? Right? So I think that's what I talk about. Simplicity is my biggest lesson is not, I don't want, I'm not going to keep reaching for more. I just have to be good with what I have because you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, but yeah, I think in to, to sum it up, I think we take from the past a lot of conditioning that is not ours to take. Like, sorry, I didn't live through the Great Depression. Got it. I also don't like take alcohol bottles and hoard them because I didn't live through, you know, <laughs> prohibition either. So and you guys, you know, what's so fascinating as a mom. OK, I've got three little kids, two things super fascinating, which is awesome and kind of off, to- off topic. One is my mom, my mom's passed away, but she was gay. And she, uh, my kids now are super close to her, her wife and her wife's, her new wife. So they call them grandma and grandma. And you guys, that is so fucking cool because I lived through my mom coming out as gay. It was so not cool. She had no rights, you know? So that's like, that's evolution in action. And then the legalization of cannabis, this blows my mind because my generation, I believe I will always feel that cannabis is bad. And I use cannabis, but like, there's like this, Ooh, I'm bad for using cannabis to help me sleep. Right. Because it was illegal. My kids are going to grow up like popping gummies at dinner parties instead of glasses of wine. Like that's kind of cool. Right. Like it's different, but like my 7 year olds going to be in 10 years time. And i trust me, I'd rather pop, rather than pop a gummy than get hammered and drive home. So like, I just think that's fascinating that we, I will always, as a Gen Xer, where marijuana was illegal for 41 years of my life, will always have a weird preconceived notion around pot and my kids won't. So that to me is like, that just shows the progression. And I think it's super awesome. And it shows I'm moving movies. to Canada.
1: What was that, TJ? Sorry.
4: Nope. I'm just moving to Canada. You sealed it right there. Okay.
1: <laughs> Come that's
4: on up. We're fun. Let's go.
3: But we're not meeting in Winnipeg because nobody goes to Winnipeg. I
4: don't. It's the straight thing. Yeah, just in
3: case you're wondering. But sorry, Winnipegers. Love you. It's probably still snowing there in minus 10.
1: Just <laughs> say it. DJ, let's meet there because I'm trying to drive up to Canada in like July, but on the other side. But I can make my way over. I don't know. <laughs> I was just going to say, Allison, what I think you like really beautifully just shared an example of too is when we get into these belief systems, like how much they truly are just like made up and how easy it is. I mean, not easy because that's, it's conditioning, but how there is possibility to change how we view the world. And like, you can take that on a large scale. Like you were just saying, like generational, like naturally these things will happen. Or I play all the time with like, how can I just take that in my own life. And it might be a little bit harder because I might get more resistance being the only person that wants to choose to have this belief system or have this belief, or um, it's maybe not the only person, but like the less popular um, belief, but like all it is, is really just like the mindset shift and doing the work and the conditioning behind it to allow yourself to see things differently. Um, And it does take time and it takes active work and being intentional with it. But that I go back to apparently my word of freedom, I think that's really, um, freeing to, to know that I can change how I see things in the, like, if I'm feeling stressed and anxiety because I don't feel like I'm successful enough, or I don't feel like I'm doing enough, or I don't feel like I'm enough, like I can do the work to redefine what success is to me hence this conversation. Um, and hopefully like really ground and stand at enough that even if the outside world doesn't think I'm successful, I'm like, well, I've done the work to define success for me. And like, it doesn't like, it might sting a little bit still, but like, it doesn't matter that much. Like I can let that fall away.
3: And think of my kids for a second is like, I, now my job is to redefine success for them. And it's hard. Cause when you were speaking, what I was thinking of was like, do I pressure my kids to go to college? Do I, you know, and I will just tell you, Americans, I love you, but your collegiate system is messed. Totally. Rachel knows this. I've worked with young athletes for a long time. And when you work with these parents who are obsessed with getting their kids NCAA Div 1 scholarships because they can't afford college or they need their kid to go to USC or whatever, and then you end up with that crazy – college admission scandals, like the money and that success is you have to go to a top college. Okay. Yeah. No, that's not top enough. You're going to go to that top college and then you got to get an MBA. Nope. That's not enough. Like it's a money mongering system and Canada's not that much better, but I lived in France for a long time. And what was so fascinating was in France, universities paid for by the government and right away that makes it On par. So, in France, you can go to a trade school, university, or like service school, like to be, you know, a a server or like work in the tourism industry. All three of those have equal level of success to French people, and I believe it's because there's not this college is the thing because it's not propaganda based. It's not. It's not about money in France. It's paid for. So, therefore, I think that's a huge thing with. U.S. and Canada, like success being attached to, to be honest, like college degrees that then a lot of these out of college kids like never use, and they spend the first fifteen years of their careers trying to pay back debt. Like to me, that's so sad. There's so much more that people can be doing to help this world and be successful than I now have to go and get a marketing job with Allison at this company, and I have a fifty thousand dollar debt from a marketing, you know, degree, but. I'm not gonna pay her enough. You know, like the whole thing is, is whew, anyway, I just don't love that whole system.
1: Just saying. You guys are amazing. I, oh, this conversation, I'm like, I feel like I'm just vigorously typing because it's opening doors for me. Um, but being mindful of time, is there anything, like any last minute thoughts before we go
5: into our last question?
4: Just one thing, two things. Um, to piggyback on the college thing, I've had so many conversations, and I remember having one when I was graduating school. So, this is decades ago, but um, with my best friend at the time. And, and we were like, Yeah, we graduated from this school, and that's great. And in the same breath, we were like, We were driving downtown, so we were driving past a community college, and we were, and I said, You know, there's someone going to that school that is the first person in, in their family to go to college, period. And they're so pumped about that. And their parents are so pumped about it. And we're we're bitching about whatever school we couldn't get into it, right? And I'll, I'll never forget it. Cause like my nephew is struggling through college but we're all like just so pumped because he's pumped about whatever school he's at. So it is like, you can choose to be happy about it. Um, the other thing, and I think this is true for all five of us and everyone in the world, but when you see someone when I see someone who is authentic, whatever it is, you just, you can feel that authenticity. I'm so drawn to it because I have decided that they're happy and I do, I do, I do define it like success as authenticity um, and happiness. So it's, it's goes back to the comparison thing that you know, like we've all talked about, but I think being real and being sincere
5: that can take a lot of the edge off. Um, I hope it does at least. So, I'm just gonna step off my soapbox. Mute, mute some self, help for a All
1: right, our final question. Um, all right. Rachel, I don't know if you have one million over. The one that's coming up for me is how do you successfully live your true north? You got anything else for us? Cool. All right. How do you successfully live your true north in one word?
0: Okay, I'll go. Slowly.
5: Bravely. Committed. I, wanted, I was going to steal slowly, but uh, I would say inconsistently.
0: Internally. <laughs> uh, you guys are the best, or y'all are the best. I'm trying to stop saying you guys. Um, can I put your socials in the note, in the show notes? Okay, sweet. So all of your socials will be in the show show notes. Check them out, friend or cool peeps. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. This was so life giving. I'm like, ah, what am I gonna do today?
4: <laughs> Thank you.
0: Yeah. Thank you
1: guys. Love this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yes. This has been another episode of the True North Collective podcast. For more from Rachel and I, check us out on the gram at the True North Collective underscore. And make sure you're signed up for our mailing list. You can do that at thetruenearthcollective.org to stay up to date on all of our resources, tools, and upcoming events. We appreciate you being here with us. We'll see you next time.